Hi, everybody. Thank you guys so very much for continuing to listen to the podcast. I know I'm a little bit inconsistent with my schedule, but I generally try to post things when I have the time. Life just kind of happens. Uh, But I will continue to post these episodes as I have the time and the availability. So, of course, if you're listening, I just want to say thank you so much for your patience and your continued support. It makes me so happy to know that these episodes are being received and the transmission is being heard. So thank you guys so very much. This was a really cool episode. I got to sit down and pick the brain of my clinical hypnotherapist. Her name is Tess Meisner of Infinite Truth Healing, and she has been such a catalyst in my life and my journey. She helped me when shit got tough with my practice and allowed me to sift through and help me work through and understand my karma so that I can continue to move forward and work on my dharma. Uh, It's kind of fun, right? Yeah, karma, dharma. Um, But she has been just purely such a light for me and I really wanted to share her story, share her magic, her modalities, the things that she does because she really walks the range of... Um, true facilitator of healing. She's a clinical hypnotherapist, a shamanic practitioner. And I mean, that sounds like a big umbrella term, but she does so much different stuff that interweaves so many different modalities in such a beautiful way. I'm really excited to have her be able to talk about it um, and really just shed a light on a lot of things that are kind of highly stigmatized and just give you guys a better understanding of what hypnotherapy is, how it's used in a clinical setting, um, and how it's also used in a spiritual setting and can help you with your own spiritual development um, and your personal growth path. So if you find that after listening to this episode that you resonate with Tess, you can find her at infinitetruthhealing.com or you can also follow her on Instagram at infinitetruth. And of course, you can always reach out to me. I'm more than happy to send you her information directly. So I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. It's a long one, but like I said, we cover a wide variety of topics and she calls me out on my shit for sure. And that's one of the reasons why I love her because she is just a no bullshit practitioner in the best way. And I think I said that in there, but um, yeah, she's just an absolute delight. So I feel really, really lucky that I got to sit down with her and have this candid conversation with her in this way. So I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording it. I do want to just say thank you to anyone who did come out to the first circle event I did, the Ram Dass East Forest Listening Circle. It was an absolute honor to be able to facilitate um, something like that. And it was a really profound experience. So I just want to say thank you um, to those of you who could come. And it definitely won't be the last. So stay tuned. I have a bunch of different um, events and offerings coming up. So I'm really excited to share this transition that 108 Mindfully Made has been going through for the last year um, with you all. So stay tuned. Lots of exciting stuff, lots of exciting collaborations happening in the works right now. So I know this fall is going to be pretty exciting, pretty busy, and I can't wait to share with you all. Um, Yeah, so that's pretty much my spiel, the intro for this podcast. Uh, Once again, If you guys ever have questions, you know, if you find, you know, if you find that these podcasts are resonating with you, please feel free to like leave a, leave a review, um, or, you know, hit the five stars and rate the podcast just so that it helps others, um, find it. I I always believe that the things that you need in time, divine timing will find, will find those who it needs to find, but definitely, um, it also makes me feel, you know, it's it's good validation that I'm doing what I'm doing is being received. So 
But anywho, thank you guys so much. And I hope to hear from you all very soon and connect with you all in so many different ways and in the through, via the interwebs and in person. So yeah, so without further ado, we'll go ahead and get to the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening and I hope you guys enjoy it. No, no. All right. So, take number two. Yes. Did you want to leave the door open? Oh yeah. Let me actually. He's gonna go out, so okay. I will. <laughs> I, like I said, I think this is good. You know, in the event of children, I feel like <laughs> definitely good preparation. Good preparation. Yeah. For sure. So I feel about our dog. I'm like, oh, she's she's like um, the worst kind of two-year-old. I'm prepared for toddlers. <laughs> oh my God. Like, yes, absolutely. I'm prepared uh, for geriatric, take, taking care of my 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 parents when they're well, my parent when he's old, and then also of a two-year-old child. <laughs> oh my gosh. When we were packing to move, um, I'd be packing boxes, and Nero would follow me and like unpack the box after. Oh I my god! She would just like take stuff out and go running with it. Like, That's literally a two-year-old. Literally like a two-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly why things don't get done. <laughs> I yeah, I don't have that problem just yet, but I mean, with them, it's constant. It's a constant back and forth. It's a struggle, but I love them. They're worth it. Um, is that your list of stuff that you wanted to remember from last time? Yeah. Can yeah. I make a request? Yes. Can we not lead with false memories and scare the shit out of people? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Welcome definitely. to this talk on hypnosis and how profoundly dangerous it can be in the wrong hands. <laughs> <laughs> this was like the one it like, I mean, everything stuck out to me, but like, I just was like, we have to talk about that. Because <laughs> not to I just saw me. that first on the list. I was like, hmm. No, no, yeah, it's, not, it's nothing to do with order. Just I did it. I just wanted to make sure totally. I hit all of it. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. So, speaking of hypnotherapy, that's why we're here today. We're here to talk about. Uh... <laughs> hey, buddy. Oh my goodness, that was well done. Very nice job. How'd you do that? Come on, get up. Go lay down. How'd you do that, Mister? Bye bye. Take four. Take four. (laughs) Yes. Jeez Louise. All right. Gosh, I'm bumping into everything. So I have Tess Meissner here from Infinite Truth Healing. Hello. (laughs) And she is just an absolute light as far as helping people uncover and recover um, from past traumas and just... I mean, everything. For me, she's been a huge, (laughs) huge catalyst for healing in my Mm. own life. And I really wanted to have her on the podcast to talk about what she does because it's so unique and it's so beneficial. And it really has had such an impact on my own healing journey. And I feel that she's helped so many people with the work that she does and just allowing her the opportunity to talk about what is hypnotherapy, what is, you know, being a shamanic practitioner all about and how has that impacted her life and how has she seen it impact the people that she's worked with all of her clients so welcome tess thank you (laughs) it's a pleasure to be back (laughs) remember that one time where we did this already but 
it didn't record and I told you that I'd call you out on it. Yep. Tess so, is going to call me out yeah. on this shit. <laughs> this is a no bullshit, no filter. Yes. And that's one of the reasons why I love you because you're legitimately <laughs> no bullshit. Like you are a no bullshit practitioner. And that to me, you're so real or so raw. And so for anyone who's wondering, Yeah. <laughs> we sat and we talked for like two hours it was so great it was amazing we had the most amazing conversation we'll never be able to have another one just as good <laughs> <laughs> sorry guys you're in for disappointment <laughs> this will be almost as good <laughs> and yeah so but i i'll call myself out too because i always poo poo mercury retrograde i think it's a bunch of horseshit i think it's a big old collective trance um <laughs> and I walked out of here and I was like, well, shit. <laughs> I, I just got you I got caught brain. up in that collective trance that I don't want to give any energy to. And here we are. <laughs> Re-recording. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> because my software decided to give me a rare and fatal message error um, <laughs> that I thought I had taken care of, but apparently I didn't. And so, yeah, we didn't record it didn't record anything, so not none of the thing. audio. Not a damn thing. Literally a minute and eight seconds, I think. Yeah, where we talked about the air conditioner. Yeah. <laughs> we, talked about, we talked about how expensive it is to have an air conditioner in San Diego. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah, so we're back. Good times. So this is, a, this is a retake. Um, And, yeah, it is funny because you're right. Like, I I try not to – I mean, I, kind, I do feel that retrograde is something that people do talk about, and it's – it's, it is a collective thing. And it is maybe, you know, I also think, too, like, it's nice to have something maybe to blame, <laughs> the, you know, your mistakes on. Yeah, super nice to not have to take personal responsibility, responsibility sometimes. <laughs> it's such a drag to always be responsible. I, I get it, totally. So we're finding any excuse. We're grasping at straws to try and, you know, make excuses for our mistakes. Yeah, but we're throwing mercury under the bus. Yeah, no, well, I, I was my fault because I literally just felt like oh yeah I'm gonna just do all these things with technology during Mercury Retrograde I started recording all these guided meditations <laughs> collaborating with a musician and yeah and I was like this is working out great F you and then we sit down to record our podcast and yeah that happened so that happened and but it's okay because we have a lot of cool things in store and I do think that it was divine timing because now like I feel like I learned so much just sitting with you. I thought I knew a lot about <laughs> hypnotherapy. I thought I knew a lot about what shama being a shamanic practitioner was, but I learned so much in our time together. And now I feel like I can actually dig even deeper with you in terms yeah. of, of, you know, asking questions and just getting, you know, more of a full spherical perspective from you on what it is that you do. So I'm really excited to sit down and re-record with you. <laughs> not only that, I just, I, I love just being in your presence, so it makes oh, me happy. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good time. So the last time we were together, I have this Rumi Oracle tech here, mm -hmm. my Alana Fairchild, and I really loved that we actually pulled a card at the beginning and the end. Yeah. Um, I feel like maybe we should do that again. Let's do it. Yeah, because um, Rumi is Any the shit. excuse to yes. do something that has to do with Rumi, I'm down. <laughs> After you. Mm. Oh, wow. I'm so curious. Well, there's one right here. Ooh. 
Which one did you pull? I got number one. <gasps> Beyond I... Death Life. Oh, wow. What? I love that card. That is so perfect. Oh, my goodness. Which one did you pull? I pulled 37, Sacred Soul Sister. Ooh. Look at that. What? I'll post the pictures so up good. on the Instagram. Yeah. So beautiful. Oh, oh, and actually, I pulled this card a while ago, and I, lo- I just love that card. Oh, my huh. gosh. The poem is so short and sweet. Um, the poem is footprints lead to the shore of the sea beyond that point no trace remains even short and sweet Rumi is just so good it it hits deep yeah you know what I mean yeah sacred soul sister when you are conscious a cloud of sadness surrounds you when you are beyond consciousness the moon rests in your arms When you are conscious, the beloved moves out of your reach. When you are beyond consciousness, the ecstasy of love moves your way. When you are conscious, you are depressed, like fall. When you are beyond consciousness, the winter cold feels like spring. All your wavering is due to your longing to be stable. Look for instability until you become stable. Whoa. I would say that that is a <laughs> that is a really good segue into what we are going to right? talk about. Right? Holy crap! Wow, yeah, Rumi coming in hot at the right time. Yeah, talk about divine timing. Holy crap! Yeah, that's insane. So, mm. talking about consciousness when mm-hmm. you are conscious, and then when you are beyond beyond conscious, that was actually one of the things that. I think is so incredible. So first we'll kind of start with Tess, kind of tell us what infinite truth is healing is and how Mm -hmm. it kind of became what it is today. Well, infinite truth healing is, well, it's my private practice at a basic level. And in some ways it's still and always evolving and growing. So I think what I knew about it at one time um, is changing as I'm changing and evolving and adding new tools in my tool bag. But essentially, it's a space where I invite people to connect with their higher self, to release some of the small ego-based or wounding-based stories that they've held about themselves in the, in the world, and really kind of step into that, um, that hero or heroine self, that empowered creator self, that has the ability to navigate whatever life might be offering, whatever catalysts might be coming forward in life, you know, because that that just continues to happen no matter how much meditation we do, no matter how much, you know, mindfulness and Zen practices we have, um, the world is as it is. So so that's kind of in a nutshell what it is. And, and within that, I use a variety of modalities, hypnotherapy being the primary one. Um, but that within that, weaving in um, neuro-linguistic programming, or sometimes called NLP, um, emotional freedom technique, which is a tapping-based energy psychology that I love to use, and then shamanic work, shamanic energy medicine, and then also just using hypnosis as a tool to access um, shamanic work as well. 
I think that's amazing yeah. that you're able to do that all at in one kind of one-stop shopping, if yeah. you will, because I've experienced Tess's sessions and I do feel that we move through, we use, we you have sessions where you utilize all of them mm-hmm. together and it's yeah. a beautiful blending. Cool. Uh, yeah, most people have no idea what to expect when they come to a session. So I just kind of throw in whatever feels appropriate and, you know, different tools work for different people. So mm-hmm being able to be responsive to the person in front of me and a little nimble, I think is helpful. Yeah. You're yeah. very flexible. I feel like in terms of your sessions, I yeah. feel like there's a lot of, um, it's, it's highly intuitive because you're mm-hmm. in that same state too. What I thought when I first, I think I've told you this, mm-hmm. like well, we, I, we talked about this before, but I really felt like the first time I went to a hypnotherapy session, I didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. I was very, um, I went to one of your group sessions for the past life regression, which yeah. she does these amazing small group sessions where you do a group um, past life regression. And from I had such a profound experience with that. I knew that intuitively I just knew that I needed to work with you mm-hmm. to get to those deeper levels that I was really kind of wrestling with mm-hmm. where the aversions were coming in. And, um, you know, when do you feel like is a good time for people to – um, seek out things like hypnotherapy or therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when they want to make a change. Yeah. <laughs> like to keep it really simple, you know, if you want to make a change and um, and maybe it's a change that you've wanted to make for a while and maybe you've been struggling to make that change on your own, then, you know, finding someone that is a helpful guide to kind of be there along the way, I think is is a wonderful thing to to do, you know. I think there's a lot of stigma around mental health still, mm-hmm. even yeah. though even though I do see it shifting little by little. Um, but there still is a very big stigma, you know, particularly for men. Mm, yeah. And, um, and, you know, seeing somebody like a hypnotherapist um, or, or a therapist doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. It just means that there are things that you might want to – feel even better about or want to shift so that you can thrive in your life more. So yeah, if you want to make a change, (laughs) then hook up with someone that knows some tools that can support you in making that change. Definitely. I think there's a big push. Everyone's like, oh, I can heal myself and I can do these things. But I feel it only to a certain extent. You know, Mm. you can, you really oftentimes when you start to really delve deep or you start to sit with any kind of spiritual practice on your own, you're more than likely going to develop roadblocks. You're more than likely going to, Mm -hmm. these things are going to start to creep up. And that's kind of, I know that for me, that's what happened is I was practicing. I had a really good meditation practice, practicing every day for a year and year and a half. And um, all of a sudden I found myself very subtly. It was a real Mm -hmm. subtle kind of change. I felt that um, I started noticing I would put off my meditations Mm -hmm. till the evening versus the morning. And then I would sit for shorter periods of time. And, Mm -hmm. and when I kind of took a step back and I realized, you know what, I'm, my mind is becoming a lot more still Mm -hmm. and I'm starting to remember things that I haven't Mm -hmm. thought about in a long time. Mm -hmm. And they were uncomfortable and they were uncomfortable enough for me to develop resistance to them. Mm -hmm. And that's when I knew that I needed to seek out, additional uh you know an additional person to to help guide me through that really challenging stuff because I do feel that I gained so much in you know a hypnotherapy session as far as breaking through 
um, I just felt like I had really great results right away, mm. which is amazing. I've never been to traditional therapy though. So yeah. for me, I really felt like though I'm so in my head a lot of the time that uh-huh. this was the tool for me to really kind of allow myself to move into that space where I'm not using my my left brain so to speak beyond conscious beyond conscious so (laughs) thank you Rumi (laughs) yeah I mean it was it was a profound experience Mm -hmm. and so I'm very we're very lucky to have someone like Tess in our community and I just think that I wish that there were more I wish that people kind of would utilize this type of therapy or knew more about it so I think that Mm -hmm. it's a good thing as far as kind of just because you tell people, oh, yeah, I go to hypnotherapy. They're like, wait, what? Like that? Like they did, just. They... Did you need us quit smoking? Or... Yeah, yeah. yeah that's like... like all they know. <laughs> they know like, oh, I mean, the hypnotherapist. You need to lose weight. <laughs> yeah, the hypnotherapist at the fair, you know, that guy. And I feel like that's kind of like the. Or they're like, oh, did you see that movie Get Out? <laughs> oh, my Maybe God. they're going to take over your body, you know. <laughs> There's so much in pop culture that's just really uh, puts a pretty bad spin on hypnosis and hypnotherapy. So, um Okay. I definitely get some weird looks sometimes. So, Yeah, I was going to say, how do you approach that topic of conversation when people ask you what, what you do? Like at a party or yeah. something? Yeah. Oh, um, I mean, people are typically really fascinated, yeah. you know, but the first couple things out of their mouths are, oh, you're going to make me cluck like a chicken? Yeah. Or, um, you know, something to that extent, or maybe they want me to do something you know, in the moment to demonstrate my powers as a hypnotist. (laughs) And I'm not really into that kind of stuff, you know. Um, I think it can be fun. And, you know, for me, I really focus on using it mindfully and therapeutically. So um, kind of doing a performance at a party doesn't feel like right fit for me. No, Um, definitely not. Yeah. But a lot of times people have a ton of questions. They also have a ton of assumptions. A lot of people are like, oh, I can't be hypnotized. And then I inform them that they're full of shit. And, <laughs> and they for sure can be hypnotized. <laughs> it's just a matter of how and who. And, um, and, and do they have the desire and, and willingness to, to be hypnotized? Um, because that's a big part of it. So, yeah, I was going to say, do you feel that that hypnosis can work for anyone or do you have, like you said, you have to be open, you have to be willing? Well, um, both. Yeah. So um, there are lots and lots of hypnotic and NLP techniques that are used in advertising. They're used by political figures. Um, They're even used by lawyers, although that's not... um, often publicly acknowledged lawyers are not supposed to be using those types of techniques in court but they do because I have met lawyers at the hypnosis conference that I go to oh wow yeah so um all that to say that anybody can be on the receiving end of hypnotic suggestion without being super consciously aware of it um because yeah every time you watch an an ad on tv they're using um, something to evoke a feeling and link that positive feeling to a product to mm. make you want to associate that positive feeling with what they're trying to sell you. So in one sense, that's all hypnosis, right? Right. Um, however, when you're sitting down for something like a therapeutic session, so you know when someone's sitting down to kind of engage in hypnosis one-on-one or in a group setting, Um, it's totally possible to use your personal resistance and lack of willingness to not go into trance. Yeah. Um, So 
there has to be some level of yes, some level of personal buy-in. Um, and, and some folks, when they come to me, they're not ready to go into formal hypnosis. And, and that's why I have a variety of other tools I use because it's not the only tool in the tool bag. It's, you know, you don't have to, you can't use a hammer for every single job that you might <laughs> ever have in the house. Um, so, but I do think that, I do think hypnosis can be beneficial for absolutely anyone because one of the wonderful side effects of hypnosis or applications of it is stress reduction. And I don't know about you, but I don't know a single person in my life that doesn't have stress that they're dealing with day to day. Yep. So that's why in my first session with most clients, I'm teaching them healthy, easy coping skills to address those things so that they have more capacity to um, respond in their life in a way that they would like to instead of reacting. It's almost, it's, it's very much, it's such a, a beautiful thing to be able to give people a tool to use on their own mm -hmm. that they can take out into the world. And I think that oftentimes a lot of people look to people who work in any kind of healing industry, like you're going to heal me. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, I'm going to give you the tools exactly. so that you can, you know, take care of yourself mm -hmm. and you can do this on your own. And I think that's such an empowering thing to give to people because I think that, like I said, oftentimes I think that it gets misconstrued. Yes, I absolutely agree. And that's, that's a big part of, my commitment to my clients is making sure that they're empowered with a variety of tools that they can use so that, you know, eventually I've, I've worked myself out of the equation if I'm doing my job well. Yep. Yeah. So, so you do a couple of different, there's different types of hypnotherapy. So, um, a lot of people we talk about there, there's the regression therapy is all mm -hmm. hypnosis. Is it all regression? Nope. No. Okay. <laughs> so um, regression therapy, there's kind of two versions that you hear a lot about. There's the umbrella of regression therapy, and all that means is that you're going into the past. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, where's the last place you went on vacation? Bali. And what was that like for you? Amazing. It was beautiful, relaxing. What was your favorite thing that you did there? Oh, gosh. Kirtan oh. at the yoga barn. That was my fav my absolute favorite part of the whole trip. What did you love about that so much? It got me out of my head. Oh. <laughs> and that's a great thing for you to get out of your head. It's an amazing thing. And when you get out of your head, where do you go instead? I don't know. I get spacey. Uh -huh. <laughs> I go somewhere else. <laughs> and you did just go somewhere else just did. now. Where yeah. did you go? I literally felt a lift in my body. Uh -huh. Like I felt a shift uh -huh. in the physical sensations of my body. It felt lighter. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So that was just a little baby regression. Okay. <laughs> we just went into the past. We went into your Bali trip and your experience with Kirtan. And we didn't even have to do that much for you to feel a sensory experience for something to happen for you. Mm -hmm. So regression therapy is just about going backwards in time. If we're thinking about time as a linear construct. <laughs> <laughs> and so one of those, um, kind of expressions of regression therapy is like inner child work. Mm -hmm. 
a lot of times in that we're going to connect with that child self or some version of that child self at some point in time. And, um, and then we have past life regression therapy, which goes beyond that inner child and, and into, um, you know, lifetimes that may have happened before, quote unquote, this life, unless lifetimes are happening all in parallel, in which case there is no past lives. But <laughs> lives we're tapping into. Yeah. <laughs> that to me is fascinating, like that potential concept mm-hmm. of, of that being wow I don't wow yeah yeah so we can get into that but um to to just answer your question more so those are kind of the two biggies um you know um regression to like that womb space is also possible so that's kind of in betweensies this life and and maybe something beyond that um so that's that's what regression therapy is we're going backwards um and when we go backwards we're typically um you know, maybe looking for the origin of an issue, um, which personally I don't believe is always necessary. I don't believe that regression is necessary for healing in the now and moving forward. Um, it is what many, I won't say many, but it is what some hypnotherapists focus on is just straight up regression. Um, regression to cause, it's sometimes called because you're regressing to the cause of the issue, supposedly. Um, so, but I, I believe that we can address things in the here and now and moving forward and, and regression will happen very naturally in hypnosis because your unconscious mind is a very fluid thing. So when we get into that space and we're kind of exploring an issue that you're currently really feeling connected with past experiences of that issue might come up early, you know, expressions of that issue will come up organically and so when that happens, I, that's, I address it at that moment because we don't want to kind of shove something under the table if it's coming up organically. Right. Um, but if someone's coming to me for trauma resolution work and they have a really serious trauma past, um, I'm not going to be, in most cases, regressing them back into that space because it actually can create you know, more charge in the nervous system and um, in a not helpful way. So um, there's a whole bunch of hypnotic techniques that have nothing to do with going in the past and are more, you know, here and now or future oriented or kind of transcendentally oriented. So we're working with higher self and and that kind of larger resource. Yeah. So, so when you talk about higher self, because <clears throat> you've talked about, I know before we talked about, so there's... There's like how many layers to the human mind or to the psyche are there? I mean, I guess well, like the main 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 ones you work with when you're doing this type of work. Yeah, so there's the conscious mind, which is the mind that we use when we're having conversations like we're having right now and we're making decisions, we're going about our day. But the funny thing about the conscious mind is that it's really only about maybe 10% of our processing. Um, and the other like 90% is our unconscious mind. Now, some people make a differentiation between the unconscious mind and the subconscious mind, but I don't really do that. I think, you know, it may be just semantics. So um, I'm just going to call it the unconscious mind. 
And that part of our mind is governing so much more, is governing all of our body systems. So we don't have to consciously think about our heart beating or our liver functioning. Thank goodness. <laughs> it would be so overwhelming if we had to manage all that. Um, so our unconscious mind is managing that. And in addition to that, it's also holding, it's kind of a repository of all the things that we've ever experienced, all the memories that we have, all the things that we've heard or seen or been involved in, um, read, you know, everything. And then there's the collective unconscious, which is kind of the, our whole kind of cultural unconscious mind, you know. So all of the things in the repository of our history, the archetypes and symbols and metaphors that, you know, even if you go from one country to another country, they still exist. Those archetypes are still present in these different spaces. Um, so that's kind of the conscious mind, the unconscious mind. And then um, there's the sort of super conscious, which is that higher self kind of God mind, if you will, or a creator mind. Um, and uh, so those are kind of the three levels that I guess to keep it real simple that's the the holy trinity of <laughs> consciousness I guess so do you feel kind of like you had to give each one of them like a personality like or like you know that I don't know if you've heard of like we've talked about like the three selves have you heard of that mm -hmm. where it's like your inner child your adult spiritual self and then um, you mean like the id the ego and the yeah super ego? I, I guess so but this is like a little bit different in terms of like thinking of them like you said like assigning like archetypes to each one yeah how they all kind of come together to create yeah i wonder how i would i wonder what archetypes I, i'll have to sit with that one yeah i like that question i don't know how to answer it i mean i know <laughs> Um, I'll also, not, I like, I try my hardest not to just bullshit answers <laughs> either. Um, you know, the super conscious is that kind of God or goddess creator mind. Um, and it's hard to say with the others because, you know, the unconscious mind gets a really bad rap. Right. It's you know? like your reptilian. Sort yeah. Of. Which that is a part of it. You know, that lizard brain is definitely a part of that. Um, and that's definitely the part that's governing our body functions and, um, you know, telling our sympathetic nervous system when to get jacked up because we need to go into fight or flight. Um, but it's kind of sad that it gets a bad rap because it's so important. Like if we didn't have that, <laughs> it provides so much, long. so much protection yeah. for us too. And I think that that's like I feel like there's this big sort. Of, everyone talks about, oh, I'm trying to transcend my ego, or oh, I'm trying to like defeat my ego. Mm. When you find people who are mm -hmm. on a healing or spiritual path, there's this real talk of like the yeah. ego is the like crucifixion this. of the ego. I yeah. heard someone say to me the other day, I'm like, ooh, that sounds terrible. Yeah. No wonder your ego hates you. <laughs> And I mean, it's like, you know, the ego does a lot of good things for us. Uh -huh. And yeah, it's ruled by, you know, primarily ruled by like the inner child a lot of the times, mm -hmm. right? The things that happened to us when we were young, those things are reinforced. Those patterns or behaviors were are, are products of mm -hmm. things that we experienced when we we're in those formative years that we may not even be conscious of. Yeah. But also, you know, it, it comes from a place of protection. It comes from a place of... Um, I always tell people, you know, that I don't think the goal is to necessarily defeat your ego because that's mm -mm. not even possible. Yeah, no. But to learn how to work with it, use it yeah. as an ally. And there's a big difference between healthy ego and unhealthy ego, you know, and 
if you were to speak to a, a traditional medical model therapist, um, they they want to help clients build ego strength because if you have very poor ego strength, then you have a very poor sense of who you are and how you differentiate yourself from other people. Mm. So healthy ego is very important to give you a sense of who I am, like who I am in the world, what my values are versus what you know other people's values might be, what's my choice and consent versus what someone else's choices are. And when we've experienced childhood trauma, for example, that sense of healthy ego can be very disruptive, disrupted. And that creates a lot of problems um, as an adult or, you know, even as a child in the world. Um, so healthy ego is a very, very important thing. Yeah. So I think that when um, it's almost like like there's this sort of talk in like um, – uh, they talk about like in, I know in Buddhism they talk about like the no self and like how it's all like letting go of the mm-hmm. the ego and the no self it's sort of like taking away or stripping away those things that make you identify mm-hmm. as a person and I think sometimes people get caught up in that when they're doing spiritual yeah. work and I think it's easy to fall into that sort of like idea that that's what you're supposed to do or uh-huh. that's sort of how the path unfolds um, and if you're a monk yeah, that living in a monastery, that makes sense, you know, when right. your life is built around spiritual seeking and like that's your work. Then that makes sense. But as a human navigating our world as it is and having to go to your job and having to have relationships, you know, if you have kids or family of any kind, the idea of transcending your ego, <laughs> you know, um, I don't know how practical that is. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, not at yeah. All. Let's just say it that way. It's not, not. fucking practical. So, <laughs> so how do we come into a, a healthy relationship with our ego um, versus letting it kind of run the show in an unhealthy way? It's a healthy balance of both. Yes, you have to have yeah. that sort of. It's a teeter totter. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's really kind of where the challenge lies. Mm-hmm. Um, And going back to your, you know, we were talking about how the unconscious mind can get a bad rap. There's a lot of kind of dark stuff in the unconscious mind, but there's also a lot of brilliance and light and resources. So when I'm just like we just did with Bali, right? Like we took a little trip a little bit into the past and we actually tapped into a moment that was a resource for you. It got you out of your head and, and you got to feel a tiny bit of that experience again. Mm-hmm. So we're not just going into the past to dig up the shit. We're also right. going <laughs> to dig up the gold. Um, so, yeah, I think developing a relationship with your unconscious mind is a very valuable, I think, a very valuable thing. But that's why I do what I do. Yeah, no. <laughs> so I'm a little biased. It totally is important because it's you have to embrace all of the experience Mm -hmm. the good the bad and the ugly and to process it and take alchemize you Mm -hmm. know if you will alchemize the shit and turn it into gold and take the gold for what it is and you know continue to work with it so i think that that's ultimately you know what everyone wants that's why we're here that's Mm -hmm. why we we were incarnated into this this journey right is to Mm -hmm. to experience all whole spectrum of the experience yep exactly and so i think that that's ultimately the end goal but when you talk about um would you also say that people would say that like the highest self would be like your soul kind of operating from a space of the soul 
You know, that's a good question, too. <laughs> All these things that I don't know the answer to, <laughs> that I don't think anyone has the answer to, I always say, well, go ask your higher self. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, one of my shamanic teachers, that was his line. Like, there were so many things people would ask him questions about, and he'd be like, go do a journey on it and ask your guides. <laughs> and people would get so frustrated, but I loved it. Because yeah. to me, it indicated that he had enough of a healthy ego to be able to say, like, I don't know. Yeah. And maybe nobody, no, nobody yeah. in human form really knows. True. Yeah. But your guides and your higher self in the unseen, they have a better idea. Yep. So go to the source or as close to the source <laughs> as you can get. Right. <laughs> so, you know, when I talk about the higher self and everybody has a different, everyone has different language for things. Um, which I think is actually important um, because language is amazing, but it can also be very limiting. Yeah. So, you know, if someone sat down in my office and um, and I start talking about angels and God, but they don't identify with angelic beings or God, um, that can really be off-putting. Or if on the other side of the spectrum, I start talking about the goddess and how magnificent she is, but they're, you know, um, they're Catholic. You know, maybe they can kind of work their way into seeing the Virgin Mary that way, um, but it might still be off-putting for them, right? So I like to get the, each person's language. Like, what is that for them? Yeah. So when I talk about the higher self, to me, that's that part of, each of us that is um, has a direct line to the divine, whatever that means for each person. And it is the part of us that is connected to all the resources and wisdom that we could possibly need. Now, I also have a sense that higher self has an awareness of any parts of us that may be living in a parallel life or past life, however you want to look at it. And so higher self is tracking all of that in a very efficient way that allows the soul to evolve spiritually. Um, now, is the soul and the higher self the same thing? I don't know. Um, there, I think there's a part of me that wonders if my brain, my human brain, has the ability to really sort that in an, in a way that's like true, you know? Yeah. Like I have to come up with metaphors for it because... Right. Um, yeah, my brain is just a human brain. <laughs> can, yeah. <laughs> That's why when you talk about the parallel lives versus like, you know, the pa parallel lives being past lives, that to me is so fascinating. Oh, I think I came up with an answer for you. Oh, you did? And I didn't just totally pull it out of my ass. <laughs> well, in the... <laughs> maybe slightly. Um, <laughs> forgive me, everyone. I have an irreverent sense of humor. <laughs> Um, so in the theory of parallel lives, um, often there's this, uh, conversation of the oversoul. So, um, kind of in answering your question, my sense is that the higher self is more closely connected to the oversoul mm. and that, you know, the, the, the soul is, you know, we have that in, in this life individually. And then, you know, Maybe it's like if I bring a metaphor into it, um, 
like the cells in a body or leaves on a tree you know each one is individual and it's doing its job it's having its individual experience but it's part of a system Mm. and in this system it weaves together um, into the oversoul so um, in that particular kind of framework the idea is that there is no time is not linear there's no real past or future there's only the now moment and so all of the lifetimes are happening now in parallel. And that oversoul has the ability to track all of that. And, um, and when I first learned about this, it kind of blew my mind, especially since I came from, you know, a real strong belief in, in past lives and reincarnation, which I still, I still believe in reincarnation. Um, but yeah, when I learned about it in my training, I was like, whoa, what, what does that mean? And then I just kind of, you know, I let myself be with that as a possibility. And when I started actually seeing clients and doing past life regressions, I started um, having experiences with clients where it became clear that it wasn't just a past life regression. There was something else happening and there would be these multiple lifetimes that would be coming up in one session. But some part of the client was um, having access to all of those. And they were able to communicate with one another Whoa. and like actually bring support and resources to one another. Which to me started to become a little kind of um, anecdotal data point for, oh, maybe this, this time thing is really not so linear. Um, which the unconscious mind doesn't work in a linear way and the spirit doesn't work in a linear way, No, I think. Um, so yeah, it was just interesting to start to actually experience in sessions, like some different stuff coming through than I was expecting. That's fascinating. Yeah. So when you do past life regression and you go back, you, you, you also go not, but see like, like the, if that was the case, how could you kind of explain like the um the interim space Mm -hmm. that sort of soul space that kind of happens that in between lives so if you've never done past life regression before um they you regress back and back and back to the womb space and then even before and then before your lifetime right you go through the death experience yeah so different practitioners do it differently um and there's different kind of methods to get someone into the past Um, there's certainly that method of kind of going gradually through this life and then into the womb space and then back further than that Um, and that's a lovely method (laughs) Um, sometimes I use a a more um, rapid method (laughs) Um, so we don't actually go through the the this life part of it we just kind of take the energy of um let's say someone wants to work on um their fear of heights okay because with past life regression a common use for it is fears and phobias especially if you can't explain why you have it in this life so um if they want to work on their fear of flying rather than you know, gradually taking them through these different life experiences and then the womb and then beyond, I'd have them access their fear of flying 
and all of the sensations and thoughts and emotions that they have around that. And I, I use a pretty rapid induction that takes the energy they have around that issue, that kind of charge they have internally, and it kind of catapults them into the past life that's most directly connected to that energy. Um, so it's just a matter of style and it's also a matter of, um, yeah, being responsive to the person in front of me. Cause sometimes people don't <laughs> respond well to that technique <laughs> for a variety of re- reasons, in which case I got a course re- correct and, and, um, and try a different technique. Um, so your question remind me. Um, oh, yes. So we, when we do a past life regression, typically we spend some time in that past life kind of discovering what events happened that somehow impacted, um, you know, might have created some kind of karmic agreement or karmic imprint that's still playing out currently in this life. Um, we might visit certain relationships that were significant, especially if someone wants to work on a relationship issue through past life regression. Um, And then we do go through the death experience of that past life, which is a very important part of the process. Um, Because in those final moments, um, the way I kind of like to explain it is when we come into this life and when we're going out of this life are the two like really big energy moments, like a lot. Like when you think about birth, and I know you know, because you've been there um, with your work, um, like it's a highly charged, even in the most easy birth. Yeah, right? it's still incredibly charged. Exactly. Yeah, and and you know, death is is the same, of course, different. Um, but in terms of the amount of kind of uh, charge that's present, emotional charge, spiritual charge. So the things that we're thinking and deciding and feeling very, very strongly in those last moments can become the seeds of karma that we take with us into Mm. subsequent lifetimes. So we want to bring that up and out of the unconscious space so that it's not just running an unconscious program. And then after the death experience, um, we go into what you were referring to, which is called the interlife sometimes, which is that space between lives where we kind of plan we take a a retrospective of what happened you know what was successful what was unfinished you know did we learn that karmic lesson that we had planned to to learn in this lifetime if not okay so what are we going to choose for next time how are we going to set ourselves up to you know learn whatever it is that we want to learn or complete whatever we need to complete Um, so that's the interlife space and not all practitioners do that which is unfortunate because I think it's the most important part of the process, actually. Because that's where we're with that transcendent self, with the higher self, with that God and creator uh, mind, so to speak. Whereas in the past life, a lot of times we're actually really in that ego of that past life Mm, identity. Right. And the ego is not where those answers are. Right. Yeah. Because I know you've talked before about how the last thing you want is for someone to come out of a session with another story. Yeah. Like another, it's easy to just sort of say, well, I'm this way because I experienced this yeah. in a past life. I was a slave in a past life. And so that's why blah, blah, blah. Or I was abused mm-hmm. or he cheated on me. And so <laughs> now I'm going to, you know, be an asshole to him in this life. So 
yeah and and we're we're so most people are so programmed to just live in their story and to repeat their story over and over again and um so it's it's very it's a natural thing for us to do and sometimes the story is really interesting it's like right tragically romantic or something and so you know people like like they want the story mm-hmm. and it's hard I think sometimes for folks to understand that the story isn't always the thing that really matters you know so I'm interested in helping them discover um, what what are they needing to accept or forgive or release Um, you know where is there an opportunity to um, bring love into the picture right Um, love and forgiveness you know so yeah, that's one of those, that's one of my soapboxes that I get on, especially when I do the group regression <laughs> sessions. <laughs> but I think it's a really good point to make because I I feel like there's, you know, you know, there's so much mystery around this type of work in terms of, am I really tapping into a past life? There's no way to know. Mm-mm. But I know that you even said that, that it, you know, even if it's your subconscious mm-hmm. mind, your unconscious mind, creating a story that you can understand to help you have a better sort of, viewpoint or perspective mm-hmm. on what it is you're experiencing and it's creating this sort of metaphorical yes story um that in and of itself can be really really eye-opening too mm-hmm. so when you look at it from that perspective you don't necessarily have to believe in reincarnation correct to do a past life regression to still have a pretty profound experience because mm-hmm. your unconscious mind like you said is making connections all the time and doing things that we're so unaware of that when you get into that space, if it creates that for you, that can shed a lot of light on a lot of shadow. Yes. And that, that is where the power, that's the rightful power of stories and the Mm -hmm. rightful power of metaphors when they are not an excuse or a justification for something, but they actually help shed light. They help bring a larger context. Um, That's, you know, that's what I'm looking for. And I have lots of people that come to my group regressions that they either don't know if they believe in reincarnation or they don't. And maybe they were really curious or maybe they came with a friend that believes and they just wanted to check out and see what happens. And And I love working with those folks because as long as they come with an open mind and not just they don't just want to be assholes and just be like, oh, I'll show you how you can't regress me. <laughs> I'd be like, no, you don't, because I know I can't regress you if you don't <laughs> want to be regressed. But, you know, as long as they're coming in open-hearted and open-minded, then they can have a very, very profound experience. And they may walk away um, changing their mind about past lives, or they may walk away um, with a new insight on an issue they had and still feel really confident that they don't believe in past lives. And either way, for me, is a huge win. Yeah, definitely. If you make any kind of impact, I feel yeah. like it's always a win. Always mm-hmm. a win in this work. Um, so as far as the type of training that you did um, to get to where you are now, to become a hypnotherapist, or I guess really the the interest, I know this. you've told this story before. I love the story about how, <laughs> how did you find hypnotherapy? Like how did that mm. become a passion of yours? Yeah. The story. I love this story too. <laughs> uh, well, I grew up 
a very kind of spiritual little being. Um, I think a lot of that is my nature. And then, you know, there's a good amount of it that was through the cultivation of my dad, who's also very spiritual and would have very long sometimes just arduous conversations with me when I was quite young like you know eight or nine years old and all I want to do is go out and play (laughs) and he wants to talk to me about the goddamn universe and (laughs) unity and like all this stuff I talk about all the time right now but you know when you're eight and you just want to go play with your friends um so that was that was a really common experience in my life um And so, as I mentioned, you know, reincarnation and past lives is part of the foundation of my spiritual understanding from an early, early age. Um, And it made sense to me, you know, like it made sense to me that there was some something beyond just this physical reality. And then it made sense to me that um, we would have more than one opportunity to keep on growing and learning that like we didn't just have one shot and like life was kind of meaningless you know um and so when I was 14 13 or 14 I stole a book on hypnosis off my dad's bookshelf and I always think that's funny because I could have asked him for the book and he would have totally given it to me but I was being a sneaky little teenager and I still remember the cover. It, it the cover of it was purple, um, and it had some kind of swirl on it. Someday I'll find it and, and you know reacquire it. Um, and I took the book to my best friend's house, and we uh, locked ourselves in her bedroom—a very hot bedroom on a summer day when other teenagers were at the mall, the air-conditioned mall. And we led each other, one after the other, in a past life regression. And there was a script. So all we did was read the script. And um, and it worked. You know, something happened. Whether it was past lives or, or unconscious mind, who knows. But something happened. And, um, you know, these things that seemed or felt like memories came through. And it was really profound, you know, to even at that age just essentially through playing you know just through exploration and our mutual trust in one another that something really cool happened um and that was kind of my first pseudo formal introduction to hypnosis yeah that's amazing yeah how freaking rad is that (laughs) it's so that i just think that's so cool because it was like it feels like it's so divinely inspired yeah you know to be that young and mm-hmm. and you literally were just kind of like hmm hypnotherapy yeah what's, what is this what's this, this? oh we can go to visit past lives cool <laughs> which is which is which is just hysterical because these days i'm like i work with you if you're just curious about what your past life was because <laughs> i use it for therapeutic purposes so when someone wants to do past life regression my question is why right and if they're like well i just want to know who i was i will very kindly say that's not a good enough reason um to work with me but if you have an issue that you want support with and gain insight and a bigger context and a spiritual perspective cool like let's do that yeah um that's not at all what my friend and i did we were just really (laughs) curious (laughs) you're like if I could go back and, and if, 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 if younger me came to me now, I would have been like, eh, 
<laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think it's different too at that age. Yeah. Um, you know, even being a really mature spiritual being, I was still a kid. Yep. And my capacity for things, even though it felt large at the time, and and you know, a lot of adults assumed it was large because of how I presented in the world. I was still a child. And so if now me went back to visit then me, I would still be like, yes, do that do thing. It. That's yeah. so awesome. Like, <laughs> because it was more about feeding that curiosity and and opening up to what's possible. It's so amazing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So when you – so how old were you when you did that? Um, 13 or 14. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and then did you know, like, from that point on, like, this is something that's going to be a huge part of my life? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> no. Um, you know, that was a time in my life where I was like, I got really into Wicca and tarot mm-hmm. cards and like herbs and stuff like that and ruins and all the things. Yeah. Um, so I was in a, a big time of expansion and exploration and it was just, another one of those things for me um and you know the thing that I was really passionate about growing up was being a writer I wrote all the time I wrote really angsty poetry (laughs) I mean really just like terrible angsty poetry some of it I go back and I'm like man that was you know that was not bad um but that was my passion, and that's what I went and did my undergrad in. Um, I ultimately I did a lit, I had a lit writing major through UCSD, and um, and life just happened, you know, like all kinds of twists and turns. You know, I have my own um, my own trauma history that I was working on navigating poorly for a long time. Some of that involved, you know, hallucinogens and exploration (laughs) in that way. But even that was, um, a turning to something that was opening up something beyond my conscious mind. And, um, at that time I, I maybe didn't do it as mindfully as, you know, if I were return, if I were going back to that self, (laughs) if I could go back and progress to my, my college self, I would definitely have some things to say. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so it was, it was years later when I found myself volunteering at a women's recovery program that I, I got connected to because a friend of mine went into treatment there. Um, it was a holistic recovery program. And, um, and there were a lot of, there were a lot of modalities that were offered or woven into that um, or little bits of modalities sometimes that would give you a taste of something different. Um, and so we did a lot of guided meditations and things like that. And um, and then that was where I got kind of reintroduced to shamanism. And so I started, you know, kind of picking up these little, I call them soul breadcrumbs. You know, I was mm-hmm. just following them. And I would just notice, okay, what compels me? What feels like right in my system? What excites me? Um, and I would just keep following that. And that's where um, I started to look into trainings and things like that. Um, but I still remember, I have a fond, horrible memory 
of my first meditation that I led in that um, program as a volunteer. And I was so fucking terrified. Like I had, I wrote it all out word for word. I even put ellipses where I was going to pause so that I wouldn't read it too quickly. And I remember just like my whole body shaking while I read it and probably not a very relaxing <laughs> tone of voice. And, and it's so funny to think back on that and go, I had no idea that I would be doing this for a living yeah, and that I would be doing it scriptless for a, a living. You know, like I went from must write down every single <laughs> word. And if it's not on that paper, it's not being said um, to just, I mean, I, I got to wing it, you know, it's got to be organic um, because each client that comes to me is a unique individual with a unique set of needs and desires. And um, you cannot take, it's not like Google maps, you know, I cannot take the same path with each person. It's not possible. And that's a really, really, that makes it a very intuitive practice. Yes. And it's very highly in the moment Mm -hmm. here and now brings you into the here and now, I'm sure. Yes. It has probably exponentially increased the way you live your life Uh in terms of being present and being mindful. Absolutely. And that, that in and of itself is a gift that you've not only, you know, you're not only giving a gift to others, but you've given that gift to yourself. Mm -hmm. And that is a really. But what should people be looking for in a therapist as far as if they're if they want to seek out hypnotherapy? What should what are some of the things they should be looking for or looking at to make sure that they're finding a good fit? Yeah, so you know, it's it can be challenging sometimes because one thing about hypnotherapy is that unlike getting a license as an MFT, a marriage and family therapist or a social worker, you know, those, um, those pathways, those clinical pathways are very, very highly regulated. Um, and they have regulatory bodies and, and you have to, you know, really go through a very rigid process um, to get your license. Not to say that everyone that does that is a good therapist. Right. But they should have at least gone through a certain set of milestones to get where they are. Um, hypnotherapy is not regulated in the same kind of way. So, um, however, there are also licensed clinicians that do hypnotherapy. So they'll have their license and they'll also be doing hypnotherapy. Um, and so really it's, if you're just looking for a hypnotherapist, it's not always the easiest to know, okay, is this somebody that's done a significant amount of training or is this someone that's taken a weekend course that then gave them a certificate. Um, so I would, you know, one, always have a, a consultation and have a really good conversation with that person. Um, get a feel for them. You know, get a, do you feel comfortable in their presence? Do they seem like they know what they're talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um And maybe it's because I'm a very kind of kinesthetic person. I go by feel a lot. Um, And, you know, if I feel someone's bullshitting me, then I'm like, okay, you can't be trusted. (laughs) Next, you know. And, you know, on my my website, I have a whole list of things that I'm certified in. And, you know, and hypnotherapy is just one of them. And it's my most extensive certification in terms of the number of hours that I completed but it's a whole it's just one in a whole slew of things that I've 
you know, committed to having continuing education because we're always learning new things about the brain and the mind. And, and um, so it's important to kind of keep yourself educated. Um, so I wish I had a, a, you know, sometimes folks will have on their website that they, um, they have, uh, there are some, you know, hypnosis kind of bodies that will give you a stamp and say you've met our um, list of requirements to say that you know we certify you so there there are folks like that but um, that doesn't necessarily mean someone's going to be a good hypnotherapist and if someone doesn't have that that doesn't mean that they're a bad hypnotherapist Um, could mean a variety of things so but training wise you know I know that you've you were interested in kind of maybe exploring what Mm -hmm. it would mean to get trained as a hypnotherapist and and uh, you know that this is one of my soapboxes (laughs) (laughs) um but because of the lack of a strict regulation um, it means that there's lots and lots and lots of trainings out there and some of them are amazing and some of them are just ridiculous like do you you know udemy dot com Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They have, like, the little... They're always popping up on my always. Facebook feed, I think, because they I'll talk about EFT and I'll talk about NLP. Yeah. They're listening, so, you know, mm, I know you're listening, up. you dummy. I hate you. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a strong word, but I kind of do, because, because um, unfortunately, you know, people will see, you know... So Udemy is, like... It's like a website where they have all kinds of different trainings. They're like little mini master classes, yeah. right? And like I'm totally fine with people learning little tips and things to help them personally. But when something is marketed as a comprehensive hypnosis program and they're selling it for $15 and it's like 36 hours of video instruction, I can't like I can't help the part of me that has to make a comment on that Facebook <laughs> ad and be like, this is irresponsible. There is no way this isn't in any way comprehensive. Like you have no business digging around in someone's unconscious mind after this kind of training. This is danger. It's dangerous, dangerous to suggest that that's possible. Um, so if you're looking for a hypnosis training or if you're talking, if you want to talk to a hypnotherapist and get a sense of what their training was like, um, you know, I recommend finding a school and there's a school here in San Diego that's, you know, perfectly wonderful school called the Motivational Institute of Hypnotherapy. Um, I have taken a course there myself. Um, For me, I decided to go to the Bay Area to my school, which um, is HCH Institute of Hypnotherapy and Psycho-Spiritual Studies. And I chose to make that hellacious commute. (laughs) Um, because they had a very strong spiritual um, framework that they were working in. So we had the clinical aspect of things, but we also had the spiritual aspect of things, which is really important to me in a learning environment. Um, But that was, you know, a multi-month program with, you know, intensive modules, two, three-day modules that happened, you know, twice a month. Um or three, sorry, three and four day modules that happen twice a month. So we had time during those modules and then in between modules to practice, to get feedback. Um, And then after the whole certification was complete, 
um, we had an internship, or in my case, it was an externship because I didn't live locally. But what that meant is that I saw clients and then I would take those experiences to my supervisor, which was the owner and clinical director of the school. And we'd bring our, you know, what we were having challenges with and she would give us feedback. And, um, you know, if we were kind of taking it in a direction that was maybe not so helpful, she could help us course correct. Or if we had no idea what to do next, Mm -hmm. you know, she could help us brainstorm and, and, you know, this is common in, and, and she, part of her background, um, is that she is an MFT. So she comes from a clinical background, but also a spiritual background. And she chooses to practice as a hypnotherapist because the flexibility it offers her. But I think that was part of what, um, maybe influenced the way that she designed the program because she would have experienced that as an MFT, right? Having to do your hours and get supervision and get that feedback, so um, it was an it was a, an intensive process, and um, and then I did a whole bunch of other advanced trainings through that school and in other schools like the one here in San Diego. So you know, quite quite a few. I mean, I've easily taken with everything well over a thousand hours. I mean, well well over a thousand hours of training, and that's not including like practice and and all of that you know all the case studies and everything yeah Yeah. yeah. that's intensive and like you said it is kind of insane that there are like these weekend courses that people can go to and then all of a sudden it's like okay they're marketing themselves as like I do hypnotherapy right in my practice and it's Mm kind of like oh that can be a little bit you know like you said it can like it can be dangerous Mm -hmm. and and hypnotherapy is dangerous but I think in the wrong hands yeah. The wrong therapist hands. It could be it could be cause more trouble than do more harm than good. Yeah, you know, we're working with um, you know, one of the principles in NLP that I really appreciate is we talk about um influencing with integrity. And I think that m- you know, most, maybe pretty much all, most people that are in the field have really positive intentions. And, um, but that doesn't mean that they're equipped for everything, you know? So some of these really brief trainings, they may give you a booklet of scripts, just like the one that I read, you know, with my friend at 14 to do that regression, but a script will only get you so far. And, and when you have to get into that organic space where you're very mindful and very present and you're, you're not just following the client where they're going in their unconscious mind, but actually supporting them like a kind of a tour guide to Mm -hmm. say, Oh, like, let's pay attention to this stuff over here that you're not paying attention to, or let's bring a resource over there because it's looking kind of, you know, like it needs some help, you know, whether it's inner child or whatever, that stuff it takes time to master. It takes a lot of time to just practice, to even have a sense of what's going on in there. You know, um, it can be very chaotic in the unconscious mind. If you don't know what you're, if you don't have a context for it. So a weekend isn't going to do that. You know, even a week, you know, one of my favorite, favorite trainers that's in New York, she does an eight day training, which I would I would send anybody to train with her. 
But when I think about having never done hypnosis before and then doing an eight-day training all in one go and then feeling equipped to go be a hypnotherapist, I still don't think that's the right move, you know. So I took her training after I had all my basic training and it blew my mind and it made me a thousand times better as a practitioner. Um, but I, I had a foundation, you know, my, my kind of soil was fertile, fertile for that, you know. Um, but someone straight off the street, you know, unless they were a savant in hypnosis, it would, it would really take them a lot to get what they really could get out of it. So I recommend a school that does a multi-month at least um, program and that you can um, do some kind of internship or externship at the end of that with supervision. I think that that's a really, really gives a much, much more solid foundation. Now, yeah. you said that the school that you went to, they had a really kind of big spiritual undertone. Mm-hmm. Um is it shamanic studies, correct? Is that what it was? or The shamanic program actually came after the hypnosis program. So it was originally a hypnosis school, and they would do um, also energy, energy medicine. So energy work, Reiki, those types of things. And I think that the shamanic program came into being because one of the hypnosis students got shamanic training um, in other places, and he propose that they expand the school to include this so it was an offering that they had and it's actually the first program I started in um and but but it's not necessarily the main focus of the school yeah but I started in the shamanic program um and and in my time there um I think the if I remember correctly, the teacher a number of times said, you know, if this is resonating with you, you might want to check out the hypnosis program. And um, so I did. So I got to, you know, they offered me the opportunity to audit one of the classes while I was up there because I traveled from San Diego to the Bay Area. And uh, I actually got to audit the first class in the past life regression segment of the training. And it was taught by the director of the school, who I love. Um, Her name is Holly um, Holmes Meredith. She's amazing. And so it was like the perfect situation. Like I'm getting to sit in on a topic that's fascinating to me with the director of the school. And everything about it was just hitting all the right buttons. And, And it was a moment of really remembering that experience when I was 14. Um, and that like everything clicked. Yeah. So as far as integrating the shamanic, um, aspect of Mm -hmm. shamanic practitioner, I should say aspect into hypnotherapy, how do you find that the two kind of come together? Like Mm. in what ways, um, do you find yourself utilizing Mm -hmm. this from a shamanic perspective within hypnotherapy? Yeah. I mean, to me, Technique wise, they're one and the same because shaman and medicine men and medicine women have been using trance states and um, non-ordinary states of reality to access healing for themselves and their tribes and the community and the world for eons, you know, long before hypnotherapists were a thing 
long before any kind of therapy was a thing. Um, so the shaman or the shamanic practitioner will do a shamanic journey and they will either use the, the drum or, you know, cer- certain psychoactive, you know, plant medicine. Um, or sometimes they will do, you know, fasting or dancing or whirling or shaking as a way of, or chanting, um, or any kind of, kind of monotonous sound. It doesn't have to be a drum. The didgeridoo is another great one. And they'll use that to kind of help themselves get into that trance state where your brain is in those theta waves and, um, and they'll go on a journey into non-ordinary reality and they might do a soul retrieval or they might do a power animal retrieval or they might be, you know, traditionally they might be um, in that state tracking weather patterns or the movement of herds of animals if their um, tribe depended on those herds in order to survive. Um, and kind of the main difference that I see between um, the shamanic perspective and the traditional hypnosis perspective is that when we're doing hypnotherapy, um, we're really going into the unconscious mind or maybe we're accessing the superconscious mind. But when we're doing shamanic work, um, it really is believed that our soul and our consciousness is traveling to other planes of existence. So we're going into lower world. Um, which is a realm where, you know, there are kind of earth related, you know, elemental spirits and we have access to, that's where we do power animal retrievals. We typically retrieve that, the animal from lower world, um, or we might be going to upper world to access, um, God and goddess type, um, help, you know, um, so we're not just in the unconscious mind, we're actually, and this is, I think it's pretty cool. Um, when we go into lower world, it's almost as though we're in the un- unconscious of the earth itself. Mm. Um, and all, all of the stuff that comes up when we're in the unconscious mind of a human, but, but with the earth, you know, herself. Um, or when we're going to upper world, we're in that, you know, more kind of universal um, super conscious collective energy. Um, so that's kind of a, it's, it's a difference in cosmology, right? One is very, this mind body associated, whereas the other is like spirit guides and, you know, the energy of, of our universe and our globe. Um, so those are, those are big differences. Um, but one of the kind of, um, equalizing factors or connecting factors is this trance state. We use the trance state as a way of stepping into those places. So most of the time when I do shamanic work, I do it through hypnosis. You know, sometimes I will do it more quote unquote traditionally. I want to, I always, I always say this, I am a white woman I will never call myself a shaman. I, I really don't allow anyone to call me a shaman because to me that is a term of respect that's earned. Um, and it's it's for those indigenous elders and, and people that have, have really, that carry that lineage. And I'm not one of those people, not in this life. <laughs> um, maybe in other lives, but that that's not enough for me to, to claim that title. 
um, but I call myself a shamanic practitioner because I have been trained in certain practices. In some situations, I will do a shamanic journey on someone's behalf to retrieve their power animal. Um, and I'll do that with my drum that I made. But in a lot of cases, what I end up doing is I actually guide my clients in a hypnotic journey for them to retrieve their own power animal in the same way I would have them do a hypnotic journey to connect with their higher self. And I find that that's a very empowering process because it's not just them receiving the journey that I report to them, which is also very, very powerful, you know, and I'm, their energy work is, is happening. A lot of stuff is happening. Um, but there's something different about getting to experience it yourself, you know, to yeah. encounter that animal for the first time yourself and to have that, you know, very intimate experience, which I can't ever communicate having done the journey myself, you know, like that's not something that you can communicate really. Um, so I love doing it hypnotically because I, I really, I love seeing people get to have that experience for themselves. Yeah. Cause the power of suggestion when you're in those states can be really real, you know, in, in mm -hmm. terms of having such an impact mm -hmm. and by giving that experience back, you know, instead of someone giving it over to you, mm -hmm. having that experience on your own, that's like you said, it's such an empowering and beautiful experience mm -hmm. to have. Uh, like I know you've talked about spirit releasement. Um, now, generally, when you exorcism, <laughs> I have to make jokes about it. I know, right? But that's literally what it is. <laughs> but it's not like what you're thinking. No, it's not scary at all. It's not scary, right? I mean, it's it's got such a negative connotation to Even it. Even more than hypnosis in general. Yeah. <laughs> I know I get that a lot. Everyone's like, oh, what if I have a ghost in my house? And it's like, okay, yeah, no, it's, they're confused. Let's just lead them to the yeah, light. Yeah, they need help. They need help. Um, stuck. <laughs> so we talk about spirit releasement. It's basically how would you, because that's part of the shamanic practitioner work too, mm -hmm. right? Now, is it generally when you recognize in a session that someone has an attachment, does that usually an obvious thing that you're able to pick up on? Or is it something that, kind of organically unfolds as mm. the story or their their journey kind of plays out yeah I mean there are things that might point to it but I never assume a spirit attachment um I think it's very dangerous to assume something like that uh in the same way that there are some hypnosis practitioners that always do regression, um, I find that there's some practitioners there that assume everything is a spirit attachment. And, you know, and we were joking earlier about personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, that's a real nice way of offloading some personal <laughs> responsibility sometimes. Well, that was just my spirit attachment, you know. <laughs> um, and so if I have, if I have someone calling me, just really convinced that they are possessed and they have attachments and that's that's the only thing they want to see me for to me that's actually a red flag that there's probably something else going on there's some disowned s personal responsibility happening um certainly sometimes there there is some mental health stuff that's actually happening in which case doing a spirit releasement would be extremely unethical because then i'd be feeding into a delusion that's not you know, that's very unhelpful. 
So again, because my teacher is an MFT, she comes from the background of the clinical and the spiritual. And so part of my training was learning to kind of sort for these things. And right. there are a lot of gateways that I go through and types of assessments and questions that I ask along the process to even to get a sense of, is this the clients? Is it not the clients? You know, so I just always go very open, no assumptions. Um, I always, you know, early on with a client, um, I'm connecting, I'm helping them connect to higher self and then a higher, higher self becomes a co-facilitator, you know, in the sessions beyond that. So, you know, from your own experience, if, if we don't know what's happening or what to mm -hmm. do next, we always ask higher self and yeah. higher self always has an answer. You <laughs> <Yep>. know? <laughs> um, and that's why I focus on that early on because my ego doesn't know everything right. and your ego doesn't know everything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, sometimes we need a better tour guide <laughs> <laughs> and, and with spirit releasement, um, that's always, always, always done with the guides and in shamanism. And again, I want to, the, you know, shamanism exists in every, on every continent and as, as far back as you can go, there were shamanic cultures everywhere, you know, even in the places on our planet that are very, very Catholic. If you go back far enough, there are shamanic roots, um, even in Poland, which is where I'm from. <laughs> um, so I say that because, you know, the word shamanism is like an umbrella, but underneath that umbrella is like, countless different tribes and lineages and you know communities and subcommunities all with their own set of rituals and beliefs that are very you know individual to to their community so some tribes have a belief that you have one power animal and others that you have three or that you have a council of seven you know I have no idea what's true <laughs> you know I always say go ask your higher self um so I just want to acknowledge that um, rather than just use that blanket term. Um, but through, the, through my shamanic training, the ways that we did spirit releasement, or it's called extraction sometimes in, in the shamanic realm, um, to me it felt like a lot of times it was just almost like tricking energy like you're kind of luring or tricking the spirit into a crystal or you're you're trapping the spirit in a certain way and then you're really removing it um from the energy field and body and and sometimes that's necessary but again i for me the hypnotic process that i learned resonated much more deeply because in that process, which is very compassionate, it acknowledges the attachment as another client, basically. So rather than assuming it's a demon or some kind of scary, terrible thing, my assumption is that it's an entity that is needing help, even if it doesn't know that. It's definitely needing to not be where it is. It's not in an appropriate place. So it's affecting my paying client, who is my first priority. But in the process of spirit releasement, 
I'm typically doing a little bit of therapeutic work with the spirit. I'm, I'm figuring out why it's stuck. And if there's some kind of unfinished business that we can do in the moment to help it access self, you know, self acceptance or self forgiveness or forgiveness of another, you know, if, if part of its unfinished business is some resentment towards someone that's still alive, um, if I can do some bit of work to help that spirit find closure, I do. And then, you know, I'm always calling in guides from the light to help that spirit cross over. So it's acknowledging the value of that soul, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and in my training, you know, one of the things that really showed me that this teacher that I found up in the Bay Area was the right one for me is that, um, you know, even when we talked about dark entities, the way that she would talk about them and the way I talk about them now is that, um, you know, they are entities that have been so identified with their ego, their unhealthy ego, that they have completely lost connection with their higher self, that they don't even have any idea that they have that. So our work is to remind them of that. And um, sometimes I've had attachments um, that appear very scary. They really scare the client. And, um, and they, they might be very like verbally abusive towards me. Um, but then with curiosity and with this, this perspective that, okay, whatever it is, it's just, it's really lost connection with its higher self, you know. When I come from that perspective, I've discovered that some of those attachments are children that have been, uh, that were abused before they died and were really terrified, you know, that when you said the ego is about protection, right? Mm -hmm. It's this like big old demonic mask they put on to protect themselves because they were really hurt. And so having those experiences were so significant for me in terms of dismantling this kind of idea of low vibe, like the darkness, you know, I think we've talked about that before too, like as light workers, um, there can be a little bit of a culture of like, oh, I don't go there. Like that's so low vibe, you know, but that's where the work is. You that's, know? Where, like, that's where the light needs to be literally brought. Literally where it needs to be brought. <laughs> yeah. So if we are not willing to go there, then like what, are we actually doing, you know? And and that's not to say that everybody needs to do like needs to make it their path to be a facilitator of shadow work or or that stuff. No, like that's not for everyone and that's okay. But if we can't develop a certain level of comfort to navigate the darkness, then I don't think we've actually reached the light that we think that we're in you know yeah. what I mean like I think it's just another kind of mask that our ego is showing us that just looks a lot prettier <laughs> yeah definitely yeah. they're just like um like a stowaway on a ship you know and do you think that they're all sort of do you think that they're more so maybe elements of the self that haven't been dealt with entirely that like you said I remember at one point I think you said that that oftentimes when these things happen it's like an energetic match yeah, so so when I'm doing, um, you know, an energy releasement process that includes spirit releasement, I'm assessing for, is this the client's stuff? Mm -hmm. So that, that stuff might be, 
an inner child thing, a past life thing, the client's own Im- unprocessed emotions, um, maybe some other archetypal part of the client, like the inner judge or whatever. Um, if it's that, then we can't release that. That's the client's stuff. Um, but the, on the other side of things, there might be stuff that's not the client's. So other people's emotions, you know, if you're an empath or you have codependency issues, you're picking up other people's stuff all the time, like oh, a little yeah. vacuum. Mm-hmm. You know who you are, myself included. Psychic sponge <laughs> right here. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's not necessarily an entity. It's just, it's just an energy, you know, that's not an energy that has consciousness. Um, or they might have an actual entity which has consciousness. It has some kind of consciousness. Um, and so when it's that's that's the stuff that we do release in some way. And if it has consciousness, then that's when I call in, you know, appropriate guides from the light to help that. Um, but it is pretty common. Um, and, you know, and and oftentimes, not always, there is some kind of matching kind of puzzle piece um, in the same way that in our living you know relationships um, you know you know how you have that friend where you you really get into your own shit together like you know how to you'll just really get in your egos together and you might gossip back and forth like you just really fit in that way that's not super healthy but you just you fit together you know yeah it's the same thing with spirit attachments. So, um, you know, a really, really common one that I've, I've experienced in sessions with folks is um, maybe the attachment's been with the client since the client was very young. And I'll ask um, the attachment, you know, why, why did you come to be with so-and-so? And they'll say something like, well, she was scared and I didn't want her to have to be alone. A lot of times they think they're helping. They're trying to help. They got nothing else to do because they're stuck in limbo. They're probably also lonely. And so they're like, I'm going to take this job on, you know, even though it's not their job. So um, so there's that matching puzzle piece of this person's feeling alone and scared. Well, I'm also kind of alone and scared, but I'm going to go and help them. And then we'll be together and a little less scared maybe. So that's one example of a matching puzzle piece, in which case, like, we want to release the attachment and send them, you know, on their soul's journey. But then we also have to do some processing of whatever that thing was that created the opening, you know. So maybe it was a trauma or maybe it was just really challenging childhood experience or, you know, once in a while it's kind of an incidental thing, you know, like someone will be driving by a car accident and, and they'll literally get a stowaway if someone maybe died in that car accident and they'll just pick up the attachment because they drove through or, you know, the hospital is a really common place to get attachments. <laughs> As, I know. That. Yeah. Yeah. As I know. As I know. Because there's a lot of wayward mm-hmm. spirits that are either attempting to transition or not able to transition. They have no idea what happened to them because it was so sudden. And, and they get picked up, you know, um, especially... If, uh, if there's empaths working there, which a lot of nurses are, right? Yeah, and a lot of nurses and doctors are some of the most intuitively totally. empathic and psychic people mm-hmm. I know. Um, they don't know it. Totally. They don't realize it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So that's one place that the attachments often go to. And the other place is um, people under anesthesia. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. So they're unconscious and they're very open energetically because a lot of those kind of healthy barriers that we have when we're, yeah, they're, they're down. So, um, you know, that pops up here and there. Someone had surgery and everything went totally fine in the surgery, but they came home with a spirit attachment. <laughs> we got to deal with that. You know, we got to do some psychic surgery. <laughs> so, but do you feel like there's certain sort of things that change that, that shift within them once you do have an attachment? Do you feel like, like most people kind of, oh man, like when this happened, I started acting differently or things mm. started to change? A lot of times they won't have a conscious memory of when that happened. They'll just say things like, I just don't feel like myself, you know, or that was just so unlike me. I don't know where that came from, you know. Um, sometimes people will have very, very massive mood swings that are very unlike them, you know. And then I always want to make sure that they've checked um, the other kind of more medical, clinical aspects of things. Um but a lot of times it's very benign things that a person doesn't notice, you know. Yeah. And that's yeah. not to scare people either. No no, 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 no. Yeah. And that's like, I think that that's the whole thing. It gets such a bad rap as far as like. They, sometimes they don't even know they don't have a body anymore. Yeah. Confusion is a big yeah, one. Confusion is a big one. Uh, another thing I hear people say is I feel so weighed down. You know? Yeah. And again, sometimes. And a lot of times it has nothing to do with an attachment. You mm -hmm. know? Um, depression isn't going to be just caused by a spirit attachment. Right. Can a spirit attachment exacerbate depression that someone is already struggling with? Absolutely. You know, so if someone, and not everyone is open to spirit releasement work and I, I don't go talking about it to certain clients that w it would just be terrifying to them. Right. Yeah. I don't want to give, a suggestion of something right and I don't want to I'm always looking at what like the most mindful therapeutic step is but with certain people like yourself that are spiritually oriented and are open to that type of thing if I can bring it in I find that it's helpful and if I can't bring it in in the same way then there's still ways to work with it as metaphor you know yeah um, because anything, just like when we talked about how past life regression can be a metaphor, we couldn't, you know, the spirit attachment could be a metaphor, you know, for something that you have to be like, you need to let go of to right. feel lighter. Right. Um, so if I'm not attached to, is this literally a earthbound uh, yeah. spirit or what? Right. Then, um, I can be more flexible. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that's what, I mean, even doing the type of work that I started doing going into homes and doing cleanses and things of that nature mm -hmm. and actually encountering earthbound spirits and the way they communicate there's so much just confusion mm -hmm. and and it's usually confusion and it's usually frustration yeah and like you said meeting those needs that need to be met mm -hmm. on a soul level for them to cross over because oftentimes there is things that they need to do or say or yeah. or come to terms with before they cross so it's definitely it's nothing to be fearful. I think Hollywood and I, we, we have so much the media to kind of blame for the stigma yeah. around, around. Well, and I mean, and religion. Religion. You oh, know, yeah. The, the Catholic Church, um, there are horror stories yeah. of exorcisms through the Catholic Church. Horror stories. I actually was watching one about a young girl, I think, in, oh, was she in? 
Germ- I don't know if it was in Germany or oh my gosh, it was horrible. In Italy, lots of places, and and they would literally torture people, and they would torture people that had legitimate mental health issues. Issues. Yeah, she had epilepsy. Right, and they'd call it a demonic spirit. Right. Yeah. Catholicism with exorcism, they don't they don't consider that that's grandma that's attached. No, is just trying to watch over you know her grandson. Um, they just assume it's a demonic spirit. And they treat it like it's a demonic spirit. And so, of course, if you're coming at a spirit that's already in confusion and fear and frustration and you come at it with very aggressive energy, it's going to come back at you with aggressive energy, you know, because that's what we would a lot of times that's what we would do. Right. It's a protection. And so and people were dying from exorcisms. So, yes, Hollywood and also like just through history, you know, like. I mean, the witch hunts, you know, yeah. like they just, just had really a great track record of taking anything that might be potentially evil and just wrecking it. So, um, and now luckily the Catholic church has a lot of regulations around who can perform exorcisms, how they're done, that they have to get, you know, medically checked out and all of those things get ticked off the list before they will even do an exorcism. And of course, they can no longer, you know, torture people um, to do that exorcism. But beyond deaths that were happening in the subjects, um, when there was an actual, whether it was an earthbound spirit or, you know, a, a darker kind of energy, they would just end up moving to the priests in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, and so that's the other thing. If you're not really working with a certain vibration in yourself, um, and to me, part of that is the vibration of love and understanding that you are making yourself susceptible to be that matching picture, you know, to be, if you're holding that anger and that, you know, that kind of energy that becomes that matching picture that the attachment can just stick right onto. And that's the scariest thing too, when you think about it, because, I know that there's also a level of belief, too. I feel like a lot of the people with regard to exorcism that were being exercised, they were they were believers in, mm-hmm. you know, they were very heavy followers in the church. Mm-hmm. So they did believe that they they're in their mind was so strong they're that trance. Yeah, that I have this, I have mm-hmm. this, I've been given this. Yes, I have epilepsy, but I've been given this epilepsy mm-hmm. because a demon gave it to me. Yes. And yeah. and that belief system within their head was so strong that it, it, the power it just goes to show you the power of the mind mm-hmm. in terms of was she demonically possessed or did she just have epilepsy? Just have epi- yeah. But mm-hmm. you know and it, that's the scary thing. It's that like that indoctrination that can happen with that with religion and the fear base, the uh-huh. fear mongering and the fear that is instilled in people to control. Cause yes. real ultimately it was all about control. Yeah. And yeah. that's a really scary thing too. If you think about it from that angle. Mm-hmm. And so I love what you're saying about, you have to approach it with, from an angle of love because mm-hmm. ultimately you create your own reality. So everything that you see is a reflection of you. Mm-hmm. So if you can see your own, you can see your love and your soul in that spirit, that attachment, no matter how mm-hmm. maybe angry or confused or frustrated it is, if you can come at, if you can come at it from a place of pure, that mm-hmm. pure light that lies within you, then yeah, you could probably negate it, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And my teacher would say, you know, every one of us at some point in our life has become overly engrossed in our negative ego Mm -hmm. every one of us has been there 
And so that's the thing, right? Like, can we see ourselves? Can we see ourselves in that reflection? And can we just choose to come with love and acceptance anyway, even if what we see is not so pretty? Right. Um, and that's, yeah, that's one of the things I love so much about that particular work. And, I, you know, there were people in my training that, you know, they were afraid. They, they didn't really like it. Um, and my teacher would always say, you know, this is probably not the work for you because you, you really can't go into it with fear. No, you can't yeah. at all. You have to know that you're always, your protection is as far as you're willing to mm-hmm. take it. Yeah. You're in charge of your energy. You own that. So if you are going to step into a space where you're going to knowingly work with something that may be of a lower vibration to help it, mm-hmm. then, you know, as long as you come with a pure intent, I, I mm-hmm. always think that you are always protected no matter mm-hmm. what, no matter what, nothing is... You can't, like you said, fear is what they, they sort of, yeah. they can feed on that. that that's yeah. the reflection they can, they mm-hmm. or the energetic uh, match, so to speak, that they yeah. can latch onto. Mm-hmm. So that's, you want to avoid that. So I know that in your sessions you see so much. It's almost like you go in and you experience in a trance state because you yourself get into a trance state when you're. Yeah, mm-hmm. to a certain degree, um, you know. Uh, my another one of my teachers the one in New York she would often say you know you got to go there first because we're creating a collective field you know if I came at you completely erratic and just with some crazy energy in a therapeutic setting you're probably not going to go into a very therapeutic kind Mm -hmm. of trance right so I have to go there too you know I have to be enough aware of what's happening collectively between us that I can follow you. Um, I can't be completely engrossed in my own experience. I actually have to step into your experience, into the world that you are um, communicating to me. And um, But I have to be in a certain level of trance myself as well. And that's the shamanic part of it too right there because yeah. you know, ultimately in traditional like shamanic journeys, they take the plant medicine too. Mm-hmm. And they're right yeah. there along For sure. with you going through that journey and helping you through that. And it's the same same concept. And mm-hmm. that's really cool. Um, when you're in that state, um, you know, do you feel that oftentimes you take on what do you ever feel that like you take mm. on perhaps maybe experience the trauma with them? Um, I mean, I would say that one of the side benefits of some of the modalities that I use is that I'm less likely to be, to take on secondary trauma, um, at least from my own experience, because I, I did facilitation before I was formally trained in hypnosis. And in those times, I remember hearing very, very hellaciously traumatic stories and feeling and taking on secondary trauma just from listening to that day in and day out. Um, But through working through hypnosis and EFT, you know, taking emotional freedom technique as an example, I'm tapping with the client. I'm not just having the client tap themselves. I mean, they are physically tapping themselves, but I'm also doing the tapping and I'm, I'm, we're saying the same words together. 
So I'm processing at the same moment that they're processing it. So whatever is coming up in me and hearing, you know, what they're experiencing, I'm also, I'm releasing the charge of it. And I actually have a, a funny anecdote to share about this. So um, it's been years now, but um, so I used to be, I was married at one time many moons ago <laughs> and I, I am divorced now. Actually, now I'm engaged <laughs> to a completely different, wonderful person. But um, when my husband left, um, really shortly after he left, I, I still had clients to see. And my, I was a wreck. Like, I was a complete wreck. Um, it was not a very, it was not a good ending, let's just say. And so, um, but one of the places where I could still kind of find my focus and my grounding was in working with, with clients. And um, it probably wasn't even three days after my ex-husband left um, where a woman came to see me and she needed to work on her breakup. Oh, wow. And so we were doing EFT together. And, um, you know, if you've never done EFT before, um, there's, there's kind of a script that goes along with it. And so we would literally be tapping through, even though he left and I can't stop thinking about him, I still love and accept myself, honor and respect myself, and I forgive myself. Even though I feel so brokenhearted, even though like all of the things that I was feeling and thinking, like she's just saying them to my face and we're sitting there tapping together. And, and the moment that she left my office, you would think that I would have broken down and cried, right? But I started laughing. Like she left the office and I started laughing hysterically. And I was like, spirit guides, you have a fucking sense of humor yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> like and it's not that I didn't have a good cry at some point as well because obviously I was still in the very early stages of a very very painful time but I got to be processing that at the same time as yeah. she was and you know she was she was the one that was giving me the words that I then put into the script that was all coming from her. But so much of it was what I was also feeling inside of me. And it was this like crazy, weird, hilarious gift that I still have a fond memory of because it was just so funny to me. Um, but it's because of that kind of thing where, you know, I'm doing it too, or I'm also in, uh, some level of trance state, which means my parasympathetic nervous system is activated and I'm not in fight or flight myself. I'm in a very relaxed state. So my ability to um, allow that experience to move through me is much greater than if I was kind of jacked up in some way or my sympathetic nervous system was really activated. Um, so I'm, I'm less likely to take it on because of those things. Yeah. And then I also have practices, you know, before and after, whether it's setting up, you know, protection or doing some kind of clearing at, on the other side. I do those things as well, just because it's wise. Um, but I have way less, um, you know, incidents of that happening now that I work in these modalities. And when I when I kind of step into a coaching role where I'm doing less hypnosis 
and I'm doing more kind of talky coachy stuff that's when I notice at the end of sessions I feel more tired Mm. I'm more likely to have taken something on and I have to do more work on the back end to get myself back into a really aligned state oh wow yeah um so and that's a good moment of course correction for me of like oh there's still hypnotic tools that I can bring in that serve both me and my client right even if you know in that session this particular client needs to be working on their self-sufficiency and how to balance a checkbook well (laughs) you know (laughs) and yeah we're not typically going into like deep childhood trauma but sometimes you know we all lots of people have you know negative associations about finances so it can come up right um but yeah I thought that was a kind of a cool byproduct of for me at least working with these modalities compared to what I had experienced before in terms of taking stuff on yeah because I think as a anyone who works as any type of light work we always Mm -hmm. have to really kind of watch our own energy yeah and make sure that we keep up with our grounding practices Mm -hmm. keep up with our whatever it is that allows us to release what we take on Mm -hmm. in the in this work because you try Mm -hmm. so hard not to but it's really kind of difficult especially when you're dealing with people who have a lot of repeated trauma that they're maybe living again and not always reliving, but, you know, trying to right. trying to negate the charge around mm-hmm. it. So what are some of your favorite grounding practices? Hmm. Well, I'm a very kinesthetic person. Um, so that means like body sensory kind of oriented. Right now, my favorite grounding practice is anything that has to do with the garden. Um, literally grounding you know like getting my hands in the soil um, getting my bare feet on the ground or the grass or the dirt um, and like letting my body be with my senses um, in something that is pleasurable right so like smelling a really lovely flower or you know feeling the sensation of of the satisfying sensation of pulling a weed out you know Um, Those little simple things for me are really tremendously grounding. So when I come home from work, um, it's typically the first thing I do, you know, is go right into the garden with, you know, with my dog, sometimes with my fiance and, you know, and I don't do anything big. I'll just putter around the garden, maybe water a couple things. And I let that be kind of a reset space for me. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really, really awesome. Getting those hands really mm-hmm. dirty. <laughs> Giving it all back to Mother Earth. Yeah. And, you know, there's science has shown that there's so many wonderful microbes in the soil that that actually have antidepressant properties. So, you know, whether we're talking science or spirit, that yep. is, um, you know, that's a tool that for me kind of applies in both spaces. And you so beautifully tie in science and spirit with this work. So mm. it's just so cool to to be able to to utilize something that's backed in with evidence and, mm-hmm. and measure it's measurable. You know, I've heard people say, Oh yeah, you can what six months of normal therapy can do, you know, hip, a couple of sessions of hypnotherapy could probably be Yeah, I mean it depends. It just it depends. depends. But yeah. But yeah, for me, that intersection of science and spirit is a, it's a really interesting space for me. Um, I think that they are 
basically two languages that are exploring and trying to explain the very same thing, but in very different ways. Yep. And and both very valid ways. And so I love I love it when something connects those two things and like science is like, oh, look, we've proven this thing that, you know, <laughs> mystics have said for eons. Um, but it gives our conscious mind something to kind of feel better about. Like, yeah. oh, that makes sense. Get that validation. You know? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The unconscious mind is already there. Like, yeah. you, I don't care who you are. Like, I've had people come to me that are so clinically minded, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, but, but um, if they are, you know, open enough, to allow themselves to go to those spaces, they'll still have spirit guides and animals come to them. And I don't care if that animal is a metaphor for you or if it's a power animal. I don't care if you're getting a good message, you know. So, um, but that scientific mind, you know, maybe it helps to go, oh, yeah, that animal is just a metaphor for how I have to, you know, be like a lion and step into my power or whatever. Okay, cool. Um, I just think it's so it's so interesting where those two spaces can come together. And that's definitely within within the realm of what you do. So yeah. it's awesome. Yeah, and I'm always especially with new clients, I'm always teaching people about, you know, in a from a layman's perspective because I'm a layperson too. I'm not a neuroscientist, but I want them to understand on a basic level how their brain works, you know, how memory is created and reshaped in the brain how patterns are created in the brain and how we can break those patterns and create new patterns by growing new neural pathways um that's empowering information to me like when someone can be like oh i can actually retrain my brain i can do that and that's what we're doing you know and that's why I, I don't typically work with people for one session because mm -hmm. it doesn't like one session isn't enough to give the brain what it needs to change long term. You know, typically the brain needs repetition and consistency. And so we're working at the same thing from a variety of different angles, beefing up these new neuro neurotrans or um, not neurotransmitters, neuropathways. Um, so that that change can be, you know, lasting. And that's powerful. Yeah. It's empowering. All comes back to empowerment. Yeah. So. That's the whole point, I think. <laughs> 100%. Well, I think that's pretty much, I think we covered just about covered everything. All the things. We covered all the things. Did it make up for the conversation that was lost into the ethers? Uh, you know what? <laughs> I don't know that anything will top that. <laughs> You guys are missing out. <laughs> I think it did. I think it, I think it definitely. I think it definitely rivals it for okay, sure, good. though. <laughs> but um, so, where can people find you if they want to book a session with you mm. or book a package of sessions with yeah. you? Yeah. So you can find my website at infinitetruthhealing.com. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. You can find my website on Google. And uh, I do a free 20-minute phone consultation so we can have a chat about what your healing goals are. Um, I can answer any questions or clear up any misconceptions <laughs> about hypnosis. <laughs> and we can just kind of get a feel for if we're a good fit to work together because, yeah, like I said, I feel like it's important to really feel a sense of comfort and confidence in the person that you're working with. So, um, 
you know, I'm really committed to, to giving a little space so someone can explore that. And I do, um, I do packages. Yeah. Typically a four session packages where I invite people to kind of start and, um, can be clinical or spiritual in nature. My primary focuses are in trauma resolution, um, working with anxiety and stress management, and then also spiritual development are kind of the, the core pieces. A lot of times those things tend to fold together in interesting ways, <laughs> but I also, you know, do your stop smoking and <laughs> phobias and all the, the things that hypnosis is known for as well. And do you have any events coming or do you do group events? Do you have anything coming up? I do do group events. I don't have anything coming up right now because I just started a a new training program that I'm I'm taking and I'm going to my hypnosis conference that I go to every year and so there's just been so much stuff on my plate um, for the last handful of months and then for the next upcoming couple of months that I haven't I haven't done any um, put any uh, kind of group things on the calendar at the moment but I do often offer past life regression groups either in my healing space or sometimes through a yoga studio that I partner with um, and then I've also had clients that um, have asked if I'll do private um, you know group regressions with them and some friends and those are really fun I've I've done them both at my healing space and I've gone to people's homes um, if there's someone that I know decently well so um Groups are a lovely way of getting a taste of what I'm like and what hypnosis is like. Um, definitely a group hypnosis is very different from an individual session. So, but it gives you a taste of what it feels like for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's how I discovered you yeah. was that group regression you did. It was amazing and changed my life and really just opened a lot of doors for oh, me. That's awesome. Into the parts of myself that perhaps I really just wasn't looking at yeah. and I needed to and really kind of helped me move through that um, that spiritual bypass mm. um, place that we all kind of go through, I think, mm -hmm. when we start doing any type of healing work. For sure. Yeah. One thing my meditation teacher said, he said, it's really easy to use your dharma and zen mm -hmm. practices to avoid your shit avoid your shit <laughs> but if you do that all you're doing is a postponing it for another day because uh -huh. it or will another lifetime yep. <laughs> or, yeah, it will come back i mean you can go he even said he's like you know he, he's his teacher is a uh, pasca chuladasa who's like uh he's like a he he wrote this whole book the mind illuminated about meditation and kind of just making it very kind of in a layman's terms but even even him like as you know i mean it's like it's it's just one of those things where it's like you can be you can be enlightened mm -hmm. and you can still have shit you need to deal with mm -hmm. and you know it does just because you're enlightened doesn't mean that you don't have shit to deal with yeah so we're still in this incarnation as humans mm -hmm. we still have you know bodies and nervous systems that um are the same as animals you yeah. know so, yeah, you can have anxiety and you can be a profoundly advanced, whatever word, like enlightened <laughs> spiritual being, right? Like yeah. those two things can exist in the same moment. So, 
you know, how can we address that? Yeah. And give a little more space and freedom. So that you can breathe a little bit more. Yes. Expand a little bit more. Yeah. So I am so mm-hmm. grateful that you came again. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. I'm so grateful that we got to have another awesome conversation. <laughs> yes. It's, uh, it's amazing. So we'll pull, we want to pull one more card yeah, do for um, the outro. Oh, we didn't even get to really talk about how you came like how like roomy and oh, roomy and talk about your the cliff notes version of the, roomy the sufi the sufi yeah so i um past life regression or past life recall can happen um spontaneously you know even in a kind of a deja vu kind of feeling and so one of the spaces where it happened for me was um during a sufi whirling practice and i was which i was doing in a dance class a persian dance class and, you know, I have a variety of this life connections to that culture. You know, when I was growing up, my family, we had a really close family friend that was from Iran, grew up eating a lot of Iranian food. Um, so I had an affinity for um, that culture anyway. But um, yeah, and Rumi was, I just loved Rumi and I love the, you know, I, I just love so much from that culture. But in this class, I was doing the whirling practice which is an amazing and very challenging practice in that you want to vomit sometimes because you're spinning, you know, you're spinning for a very long period of time. Um, But it puts you in a trance, Um, you know, especially once you get kind of past that stage of wanting to vomit. (laughs) (laughs) You found your point of focus, you found your rhythm, um, and it really puts you into a trance. And I had some past life recall that came up through that. and, And it wasn't like... A, ma- a huge experience it was just these little snippets that came to me while I was whirling and and just create a little larger context for why um you know this resonates with me so much like the the music does the the dance I love Persian dance like my body just loves it you know um everything I've ever read by Rumi I'm just like oh how does that touch the deepest part of my soul mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah <laughs> so and who knows if it was an actual past life or it was just a story that my unconscious mind was creating. Either way, way. it's a beautiful story, Mm -hmm. you know, scientifically real or not. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful story. (laughs) So, (laughs) all right. So do you want to pick a card? A card. Mm, A little outro card. I feel the right one where it is. Sacred Union. Hmm. Oh, that's really pretty. That is really pretty. Let's see what Sacred Union has to tell us. Number 19. Only the oneness of love and the lover is eternal. Surrender your heart into this union, for all else in this world is momentary. Wow. Hmm. That's totally like being present. Yeah. And and being guided by love. Yep. That's exactly what we were just talking yeah, about. Exactly. Of course. Thanks, Rumi. Thanks, Rumi. <laughs> always keeping it real, brother Rumi. Always keeping it real. <laughs> well, thank you so much, You're Tess. So this welcome. was awesome. I, I totally I just I'm so I feel so privileged to have had you um, sit here with me and just chat about 
all oh, things. I so I appreciate it. just who you are in the world and you're such a light as well yourself. And oh. um, it's been a huge gift to get to have this conversation with you. Say and with me, pleasure's all mine. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Now let's just make sure it recorded. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know we did. Take three. Take three. Oh my God. <laughs>